Thank you for tuning in to today's audio message. Here at Temple Baptist Church, we are a church on a mission, connecting people to Jesus and to one another. Well, guess what? We're not done yet, and it's my privilege to introduce our speaker. I have known this guy since he was eight years old. I've scarred him emotionally many times as his youth pastor, which I apologize profusely for. But the privilege has been this, is I've been able to see him at first front row seat and see him become the man of God that he is today. Uh, Brent is in a second year Bible college at Heritage. He's saying to be a pastor, so when I thought who should preach, I thought it would be a great opportunity. This is the first time he's done it, and he's done two back-to-back. So this is the second time. The first one was really good, so this one would be good too, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I love the confidence. All right. Let me just pray for you, Brandon, and you can take, take over, right? Lord, thank you so much for being Lord. Thank you just for the anointing you have in this young man's life. Lord, thank you just for how you're working in his life. And Lord, just the, the message you placed on his heart this morning, Lord, I pray that you would just give him boldness to speak the truth. Lord, I pray you remove him, and may you come clearly through. May his words be your words. I pray a blessing on him. I love him, and I thank you so much for him. And I pray. Amen. All right, brother. All right. Thanks so much, Dave. <clears throat> well, welcome to Temple Baptist. Again, my name is Brandon. If you're joining online, thank you for joining us online. Everybody here, welcome brothers and sisters. Thank you for being here. Those online, it's our prayer that you'd be able to join us at some point in person. But nonetheless, thank you for everyone for being here. I want to start out by saying before we get in, my favorite part about the church as a whole, but specifically Temple here, is the fact that we are family. And that's in part, what the church is designed to be. And I can't say how thankful I am to the church for for being the family that it is, especially the youth group. We do life together. It's such a blessing. Um, And on behalf of the youth, I know I speak for all of us when I say thank you for the opportunity, family, for us to be here today to lead our family in worship and in prayer, um, in in, uh, speaking and in growing together. Today we're talking about going deeper in our faith. But before we get into going deeper, I want to start with why. Because if we don't start with why, we jump straight into what and how. Everything becomes a checklist. Uh, Just checking off the things that we're doing. But if we understand why before we get in, then we get to the core of what we believe and our purpose of why we do it. So before we start, let's ask why. Why go deeper? Well, because going deeper with Jesus gives life joy, meaning, and purpose that you won't find elsewhere. We'll get to how and what later. So our purpose is going deeper with Jesus and making life rich and meaningful, which only comes from him. How is this so? Well, Jesus is so wonderful that we, in part, get to experience him by living his way in his land, which is incredible. Just imagine for a moment the full embodiment of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and gentleness. And he wants to go deeper with all of us, individually and together. Well, maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, and you've heard all of this before, you've heard the talk, you've heard the fruit of the Spirit, um, you've heard that we should have joy, and, and that there's meaning and whatnot, but you don't feel that. Um, maybe if you're honest, life just sucks right now. 
Unfortunately, that might be a lot of us in here. Um, but that's the great thing about being a family is that we do that together. We come alongside each other and walk with one another through that. It's not supposed to be that we do that on our own. Maybe recently somebody's hurt you. Maybe at home finances are tight. Perhaps because of these things or unrelated issues, faith is hard. Maybe you just wake up every morning and feel no joy. You know, you might look at everything that happens under the sun and see no meaning or purpose. Well, let me offer a little bit of hope to that this morning. If you're here today and believe that Jesus is our source of hope and joy and meaning, and listen to what Hebrews 13.8 says to that. Hebrews 13.8, on the screen, there we go. I prefer the NLT myself. It says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is a universal statement. It's, it's all-encompassing. It was not true when this was written and has ceased to be true. But it will always be true that Jesus was the same when he was on the earth and now that he's in heaven. And if he is the source of our hope and our joy, and he is, and he's the same, even though we may not feel joy all the time, unfortunately, or feel hopeful, or feel like there is a purpose, there is. And our emotions don't determine reality. But statistically, a little more than half of Christians in the youth group, roughly the size of the one we have here, will eventually walk away from their faith. Why is it that we look upon our family here, the things we do together, and see so much wrong? Why is it that more than half of, of students in, in the youth group are going to walk away from their faith eventually? I like to ask, what's changed since the apostles who saw Jesus in the flesh to now, if they were able to start a movement that changed the world that's still affecting us today, that's still changing people today, what's changed? They were all just people. Every guy that walked with Jesus was just a guy. Every girl that walked with Jesus was just a girl. Some fishermen, some tax collectors, ordinary people. Jesus hasn't changed. Perhaps it's something on our part. I would like to suggest that perhaps the issue is is that God doesn't become real to us the way he did to the early disciples. There are many storms going on in many of our lives. I love the imagery in Psalm 1, the psalmist writes. I believe it's applicable here. It says, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. If we want to remain strong in these storms, if we want to bear fruit each season, and we want our leaves to never wither, we need our roots to go deeper. So we understand the why already. Well, why do we go deeper? Why do we want to go deeper? Because we find a different meaning, a different joy, and a different purpose in going deeper. We find real joy and meaning and purpose by going deeper. The kind of joy, meaning, and purpose that doesn't come from anything outside 
of going deeper with Jesus. That's our why. That is our purpose. Now let's get to our how, which is the process. The specific actions taken to realize our why. What do we do to get our roots to go deeper? Three things. We make God real by embracing him. We make God real by executing his commands. And we make God real by expressing him. Our destination this morning, as previously mentioned, is understanding more why we want to go deeper, what that looks like, and how we do that. The first stop on said journey is John 6, 66-69. It says, At this point, after hearing a difficult teaching from Jesus, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the twelve and asked, Are you also going to leave? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. Peter experienced Jesus in such a way that he knew nothing else compared. He knew that among all of the teachers and all of the, the false messiahs of the day that Jesus was the real deal. He experienced something in Jesus that he hadn't experienced before Jesus. This kept him anchored to him. In experiencing Jesus, he knew that he was the only one that had the words to eternal life. He was the only one who was the Holy One from God. We need to experience Jesus by embracing him this way. And so while I was preparing this, I wanted to get a little bit better of an understanding of what it meant to embrace. So I have three definitions this morning, each better than the one before it, I believe. The first one is to hold someone closely in one's arms, especially as a sign of affection. The second one is to accept a belief, change, or theory willingly and enthusiastically. The last one, my personal favorite between the three, is to include or contain something as a constituent part. So I asked myself if I were in my rightful place in the pews or on the ground at the feet of Jesus and he was up here teaching, would I want to run up and embrace him physically in my arms? Since he's not here in the flesh, I asked, do I embrace my belief that Jesus is who he says he is and did what he did and rose from the dead willingly and enthusiastically? Or do I do it begrudgingly? Or, or do I do it just because? It's my parents, you know, or it's the way I was raised. Do I, do I embrace it because of that? Is my faith in Jesus a constituent part of who I am? Is it a part of my core? Does it make up my reality? If it does, and if that's your case, then you have embraced Jesus. Is our faith in Jesus, and is Jesus as a person, a constituent part of who we are? The second stop on our journey this morning is Matthew 7, 24-27. Beyond the screen it says, Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds be against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears the teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Now, we have to understand a really key point of this. Jesus doesn't anywhere say, if you build your house on rock, storms won't come. Nor does he say, if you're wise and put this into practice, 
nothing poor is going to happen. No, he says, if you do this, if you execute my commands, if you execute my teaching, if you put it into practice, you will be firm despite the storms that come. Now, we've had you know, several winter storms or whatever where the highway is totally shut down or nobody goes anywhere in the city because it's shut down. And sometimes, you know, if you're out in that, it can be frightening. Or, you know, if you're from down south and you've, you're just hanging out in your backyard and all of a sudden some major F5 tornado or a hurricane just comes strolling in the back door, that's no fun. But you might have experienced that. And it can be frightening. But whatever structure you're in at the time, you see the strength of because it's not blown away if it's strong. Our experience with Jesus is the same. Same rule applies. Storms might come. They will be uncomfortable. They will hurt. But when we're deeply rooted in Jesus, when he is our firm foundation, then we won't be whisked away in the winds and the floodwaters and the torrents. So to execute Jesus' teaching, we have to get to the bottom of what is he teaching us? Or how is the Holy Spirit convicting us? What is he pushing us to do? When we're in our Bible studies or, or in churches, what are we hearing? What's the tough teaching that we need to implement rather than walking away from? Quick side note, I promise that the Lord will never tell you to do something that will hinder spiritual growth. Growth is tough. That's fairly well understood, but I also speak from experience. I mean, if you go to the gym or you lift something heavy, you're exercising those muscles, strengthening them, and that burn and that tear in the muscle is tough. It's a common analogy for faith, but it applies. When the difficult times come, we are stretched. Difficult as it is, it's beneficial. So the Lord will not tell us to do anything that will hinder spiritual growth. So will our church be, going back to Psalm 1, like a strong tree who bears fruit each season, whose leaves never wither, who's planted on the riverbank, is strong and not uprooted? Will we as individuals, as brothers and sisters and as a family, be likewise and bear good fruit and not be uprooted, whose leaves never wither? The final stop on our journey this morning, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. It's commonly referred to as the Great Commissions, just before Jesus is ascending into heaven. It says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Quick pause before we go on. Something that I have been taught myself is anytime, and I said it earlier and it still kills me because it's so cheesy, Anytime there is therefore in scripture, you have to look at it and see what it's there for. My profs think it's hilarious. <laughs> hilarious as it is, it is applicable. You see what it's there for. Why does he say, therefore, go and make disciples? Well, because he has all authority in heaven and on earth. So clearly not a guy to be reckoned with. And so he gives us this command, and he continues in verse 20, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, he encourages us while we do it, despite the difficulties, 
He is with us always, even to the end of the age. He does initially start by saying he has all authority in heaven and on earth. And with that authority, he gives us command to go and teach what we've learned from him. But it goes further than that. I believe we can take that a step further. And we're supposed to share the hope and joy and meaning that we find in him as well. Teaching the commands is, is a crucial part of that. That's exactly what he said. But there's more to it. And when we share the hope and share the joy and the love that we have from Jesus, people respond to that. And that's what people are looking for. That's what so many need. And sometimes it is difficult to share that at work or if you're a student or, or your neighborhood or whatever. But Jesus does promise to be with us even to the end of the age. And I actually love what Psalm 91 says about it. I believe it's verse 3, but it says, God's faithful promises, faithful promises, are our armor and protection. Which is wonderful because that armor is never coming off. And this is something convicting me a little bit lately. I go to Heritage is a Bible college in Cambridge, and if there's any comfortable Christian bubble, Bible college is in. And we had a local reach week uh, two weeks ago or so, and they were talking about this. And I asked myself, you know, do I go out with the zero dollars that I have and get a coffee or buy groceries? And while I'm doing that, you know, do I intentionally try and show people that love and that hope and that joy? Uh, do I put myself in positions where I can do that? Do I put myself in positions where I can introduce somebody to Jesus who doesn't know him? Going back to the fruit thing in Psalm 1, is the fruit that people see on us as a family, as a church, as individuals, is it good fruit that fulfills this command? and is reflective of Jesus. So, so far we know why we do what we do, and we know how we do what we do. The why is because going deeper with Jesus gives life joy, meaning, and purpose that we don't find elsewhere. It helps us to not be uprooted. The why is our purpose. It's what we believe. People don't buy, mind you, what you sell. They buy why you sell it. It's not trying, something we're trying to sell, but it's an old saying. People don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. So why do we do it? Because this is meaningful. This is fulfilling. This is what everybody's longing for. How do we do it? We experience God by embracing him, by executing his commands, and by expressing him. Now we'll get to the what, which is the result of our why. What do we do to experience God? The proof of our why? We experience God through these things by owning, living, and sharing our faith. It's something that's been the youth group model a little bit. You can see behind us here. Own it, live it, share it. It's something we try and implement there. You own your faith, first off, by embracing it. Embrace is to hold somebody or something close in one's arms, especially as, as a sign of affection. The second part to embracing is accepting a belief theory or change willingly and enthusiastically. The third part is containing it as a constituent part. This is how we embrace our faith and therefore own it. We live our faith by executing it, doing as Jesus commands us to do and teaches us to do, by building our houses on solid foundation. We have to wrestle with what is Jesus teaching us? How are we feeling convicted? 
when we do this, we live our faith by executing it. The last part is we share our faith. How do we do that? By expressing it. We go and share what we've learned about the Lord. We go and share the hope and the joy that we have in him. We go and share the things that he's taught us, the things that have changed our lives. So while I was preparing it, I was kind of thinking about, you know, the first time that I ever felt real joy or, you know, really felt loved uh, by God. I was at a conference called Remix in Toronto. And as I sat in front of a cross, I looked out, you know, over the city and just wondered, God, why in the world would you love me? I can't sit on that, can I? Uh, why in the world, God, would you love me for the mess that I often am, let alone the whole world? And I wrestled with that for so long, for so long, it just made no sense to me. But I came to the conclusion that that question, or, you know, the lack of an answer is what changed me. And because of that, the hope that I found in that, and the freedom that I found in that, is what I want to help others feel. And if we each can do that just with one person a day, man, that's a crazy thing, isn't it? I have a close friend, and he says that each day, everybody he comes into contact with, he wants to make that person's day just a little bit better. Whether it's the barista at Starbucks who makes his coffee, or, or a friend he, he runs into that he doesn't see often, or a close friend. He wants that person's day to be better after their conversation or their encounter. And as much as that might seem as a concept, like an unrealistic goal, that is something to strive for nonetheless. Even if it is, why not try? Sarnia needs help, and we need to try. We can do something. We ought to do something. People are depressed and anxious as far as the eye can see. You see it, you walk through the mall or your work or your class or your halls or whatever. You scroll through your social media, whatever social media you have. I promise I'm not that old, I just don't use it. Not that being old matters. It's wonderful. But either way, regardless, wherever you see it, you notice it. It stands out. It's unfortunate. It's not the way things are supposed to be. And something in us should see that and say, this is not how things are supposed to be. As Christians who have felt that hope and that joy, we should feel prodded on to do something about that. And if you are a Christian this morning and you haven't felt that, or even if you're exploring Christianity and you haven't felt that, man, we pray that this morning is the morning you do. And if it's not this morning, that it's sometime soon. And we as a family here want to help with that. Want to walk with you and do it as a family. That's why we're here. This is uh, probably not the most pastoral thing I'll ever say, but that's okay. First sermon, that's the time to say it. <laughs> I'm a big Pink Floyd fan. And if, you're, if you know any of their songs, you probably heard uh, Wish You Were Here. And one of the lines they wrote in that is, uh, you know, everybody is just lost souls swimming in a fishbowl year after year. And that sounds not like a joyful, meaningful, rich experience. Not a joyful, purposeful life. And there is more to life than that. And we need to experience that and find that, and we can. And when we do, we need to help our neighbors and our friends 
see that. Our brothers and sisters in our own family because guaranteed, unfortunately, some of us haven't. And you can. We want that for you. I know I speak on behalf of the pastoral team and, and the brothers and sisters here. We want that. But if you've lived in the same neighborhood and you have experienced that and your neighbors know you're Christian and they haven't seen the joy and the hope in you, you got to ask yourself, what are you doing? Or if you've been in the same workplace for a long time, and same story, they know you're Christian, they know you go to temple or whatever church you typically attend, they know you believe, and they haven't seen that hope and that joy, what are we doing? This is a question I really wrestled with recently. Uh, it's no, it's no uh, mystery that Sarnia has uh, depression, anxiety, and suicide issue. And there was a beautiful little 17-year-old girl recently, the last couple months that took her life, and she was my next-door neighbor. I knew her for years, actually. But I really had to ask myself why I didn't step out. What was I doing? Been a Christian a long time. Felt that hope a long time ago. I've held on to it. Why didn't we invite them over for dinner? Why didn't I wave or smile when I saw her outside? What was I doing? The good thing is it doesn't have to be this way. Paul wrote that he doesn't focus on the past, but he focuses on what lies ahead to finish the race. That's what we ought to do as well. We can own our faith by embracing it enough that we are willing to die for it, die for Jesus like the early Christians were. We can live our faith enough that others will see the hope in us and want some for themselves and ask about it and seek it. We can share our faith in such a way that it spreads like wildfire, like the early Christians did it, because if it happened then, it can happen again. I believe it's just about time it does. So to land this plane, we've reached our destination. Why do we go deeper? Well, because depth with Jesus gives life meaning and joy and purpose that we don't find elsewhere. It keeps us from being uprooted, and it keeps us on a firm foundation. How does going deeper accomplish this? This is the process, the specific actions taken to realize our why. We experience God by embracing him, executing his commands, and expressing him. What is the result? What do we do? The result, the why of our proof, or the proof of our why, we own it, live it, and share it. Owning it is embracing it. Living it is executing it. Sharing it is expressing it. Quick close. Earlier we were discussing together um, Jesus being the full embodiment. He is the, of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness. The fact that he wants to go deeper with each of us individually. And these are the kinds of fruits that people need to see and to taste. These are the kinds of fruits that Jesus showed us even while we were enemies. And we took and led us to being his children. And these are the kinds of fruits that our neighbors and our friends are looking for. They're the kinds of fruits our brothers and sisters, maybe in here this morning, are looking for that we can share. Let's pray close. Thanks for tuning in this morning. If God has used this ministry to bless you in any way, I encourage you to join us live Sunday mornings at 1030. 
address, directions, and any more information, you can check us out online at templebaptist.com. God bless and have a great week. Shine like the sun.